Um, good morning to those who are worshiping with us online. I'm Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Spring Hill. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, I want to pay you a particular welcome. Uh, I missed you guys last Sunday. Uh, and, and our family, my family's so gracious. They know they have a pastor in their midst. And so uh, we, we typically leave right after Christmas Eve. And then they wait to have Christmas Eve. While you're all watching the ball drop and celebrating New Year's, we're having Christmas Eve on New Year's Eve. And so uh, it was good. Anytime you get seven cousins together in the room, there's always one that's probably in timeout. It was a rambunctious kind of week. Uh, but it's good to be back in, uh, in uh, worship with you today. Um, it's been kind of a week, hasn't it? I, I, uh, before we jump into the scripture, I just, I just thought I wanted to take a minute and just give you my heart on some things. Um, one, I know that for many of us, um, we've watched things play out in the news and there's this uncertainty and you can kind of feel this unrest that a lot of people are feeling right now with our nation and with where we're going. Um, but I have to say, my heart uh, has not nearly been there as it has been on uh, the McDonald family here. And um, for those of you that don't know the story of, of little Liam, his name means warrior. And Liam, a year and a, about a month ago, um, began this fight for his life. And mom and dad, we prayed for them right here. We uh, baptized Jill and Kimber, and we made them this promise that we would pray with them wherever they go. Because church to call home doesn't just mean a building. It means a place to belong and a people to belong to. And uh, then they went down to Colorado and started their journey there and, um, and then moved to Florida uh, to continue with, with little Liam and his fight. And I just have to say this, as Ty and Jill's pastor, I don't know a set of parents that is more faithful and loving and committing to their family as that couple is. And uh, Tuesday morning, as many of you know, Liam went to be with the Lord. Um, we were praying for his healing, and um, sometimes God answers prayers not in the way that we thought he would. Um, but as I said in the, in the email to you, um, for me it has been a week that has been a reminder, this is not our home. Uh, God did not intend for us to experience suffering and death and pain and loss. And, um, uh, and, and, and yet uh, we have this, this sure hope in, in God's word and in the gospel of John where we're going to be jumping in this morning um, that gives us good news even in the worst of news. And, uh, and so Ty and Jill, I'm, I know you're online with us this morning and um, our hearts ache with you. Uh, we love you. We're praying for you. And um, I, I told Ty and Jill, we're going to do that now. But in the weeks to come, will you just keep them close in prayer um, as they continue to heal and, and try and figure out what life is uh, now. And pray for that little Kimber, too. She's a, she's a spunky girl, but I know that she, too, is, um, is hurt in the midst of all this. So let's pray. Can we pray for them and just pray for our own hearts? And God, we thank you for loving us, Lord. Loving us enough to step into the, the brokenness that is this, this life. And Lord, making a pathway where there was no way. Lord, such that we can see and, and stand in the face of trials, circumstances that are outside of our control. That we can even look death square in the face and know that the victory is still yours. So God, I just pray right now for, for the McDonald family, Lord, we ask that you would be the healing balm in their lives. God, I pray that you would uh, 
live into the promise that you have given to us, that you are near to the brokenhearted, and Lord, just envelop them with your love right now. God, that you would be the God that goes beyond all time and space, and, and though we can't hold them close, Lord, would you hold them close in this moment? God, we think about, too, this week that we've all experienced them. Lord, the continue uh, reality that this earth is not our home or that this life is far from perfect. And so, God, we come together this morning, Lord, to look to the one who is perfect, who is holy and blameless, upright, mighty in power, And God, I just ask that for all of us, each of us, as we open up your word, Lord, that you would remind us of your good news. But God, that we wouldn't just hear it, we would receive it. And Lord, that we just wouldn't receive it, but that we would live it out. So God, we pray by your Holy Spirit, would you bless us and keep us this morning? God, have mercy on us as we hear your word proclaimed. Lord, speak to us. We thank you for that gift. And Lord, our hearts are ready and willing to hear from you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So this morning, we're going to jump into this story, actually one of my favorite stories in the scripture that is all sufficient for this moment uh, of where we're at as a church and as a people. Um, it's a story where Jesus comes to this, this invalid, um, broken, presumably paralyzed man, and he asks him this really poignant question. He says, do you want to be made well? And the more that I've thought about uh, our our lives and what this week has looked like, I want to invite you to ask that question with me, not only for yourselves, but for one another as we step into God's Word. So let's turn, if you would, to John's Gospel, chapter 5. And we're really going to focus just on the first part of this this lesson today, uh, but we're going to read verses 1 through 29. Let's listen to God's Word. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. 
This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to the one he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. But do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So a man sits disabled, invalid for 38 years waiting for a miracle. Try to imagine that with me. You know, we don't know what his ailment was, but we're told, and we're told, we're not even sure how he ended up in his predicament, but you can capture the picture. We've seen it before. The trials of this life have gotten in the way of this man's health, and now he's stuck. And for decades, he sat near this pool, hoping for healing for a miracle. The Greek transliteration for Bethesda means house of outpouring. This was a place where it was said that the waters would bring healing to the sick. It was believed that an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the water, and the first to touch the surface of the current of this pool would be made whole again. And this invalid man, he sits watching and waiting for the next movement in the pools below. But every time the water gets stirred, he gets crowded out. It's every man for himself. Look again at this in verse 7. The sick man answered Jesus, I have no one to put me in the pool. And every time the water is stirred up while I'm going down, another steps in front of me. Just imagine this scene for a minute. Crowds, multitudes sitting and waiting in their predicament. There's just enough cover from the sun to shelter the blind and the lame and the paralyzed from the day's heat. You can hear the echoes off the stone colonnades as the one porch leads to another another until they meet at the water's edge. Just think about the fatigue of the the boredom as these people sat waiting for hours, days, weeks, months, years for these waters to move. And then suddenly the mundane would be interrupted with this hopeful moment. A stampede would ensue, but only one out of the entire crowd would find healing. All the rest were waiting in this cycle now of hope and despair. I imagine it to be kind of like playing a game of spoons, right? But with far greater implications. One sees the first spoon move, and if you're not quick on the pull, 
well, you've lost the game. It poses an interesting question. You know, you can't help but think of this man and wonder what it would be like to be him. Do that with me for a minute. Just put yourself in his shoes. Where in your life do you know you're not well? You know, we don't have to dig too deep for this one. We, we all know our own trials and the excuses that come with them. This is a story not about a, uh, just about a man's predicament, but this is a story about what Jesus came to do with it. And at first glance, it seems that this story is about a man's physical healing, and it is. And yet this lesson that Jesus offers this man is a lesson with far greater eternal implications for you and for me. And the entire story begins with Jesus asking this struggling invalid a poignant question. He says, do you want to be made well? It's an odd question if you consider the context. You know, when you first read these words, it almost seems unfair. It's obvious this man wants to be healed, isn't it? He's waiting near this poolside that's famous for bringing people healing from what ails them. He's been struggling for decades, hoping for a new start. Of course he wants to be made well again. And yet I think this question offers us something profound right from the get-go. That is that if you want to be made well, don't start from the outside. Start by looking within. See, it seems to me that the first step towards any kind of wholeness in our faith is that we desire it. Do you desire it? Just in the last decade, there's been this groundswell in our culture of, uh, of holistic health and wellness. Have you caught on to that? Almost as if as a society, we know we're not well. In the last 10 years, every fast food chain in this country has tried to reinvent itself with a new modern look on the inside. Children's meals, they no longer come with fries and a Coke. They're now offered with apples and a healthy glass of milk. Processed food is out. Organic markets are in. And everywhere we look, there seems to be some new physical health initiative too, right? CrossFit gyms are cropping up all over the place to improve our well-being. Health and exercise and technology is being advertised to us on a daily basis so that we can get fit again. What was the taboo of mental health is no longer. The, the forbidden topics of depression and anxiety are now commonly discussed among younger generations in fact, fun fact, according to the National Institute of Health, nearly one in four of us is suffering, struggling in our own mental anguish right now. But this Jesus comes to this man who is desperately lost, just as struggling as much as you and I, and he asks him, do you want to be made well? What do you think Christ meant when he asked this man such an obvious question? You know, we read this story, and I think we quickly assume that this was a question about this man's physical paralysis. But maybe Jesus was referring to something more. After all, for this man to be made well after 40 years of his infirmity, it meant major life changes, right? Maybe he didn't want it. If the illness that brought you your paralysis is now suddenly gone, that means no more excuses. It means no more handouts. It means the sedentary life that you've become so used to is no longer. There's work to be done. 
You know, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and life abundant. And yet so often I think we get stuck in our own patterns of dysfunction and we, we kind of like it that way. We know deep within ourselves that something's off, but at least it's comfortable and known. Change makes us nervous. Just consider this man's response to Christ, right? Jesus asks him point blank, do you want to be made well? But instead of answering the question, he begins making excuses. Well, I can't get down to the water. They won't let me through. But that's not the question Jesus asked, and it's certainly not the answer he was looking for. See, this invalid, he's become so obsessed with the symptoms and the the barriers that he's forgotten all about the solution. And instead of looking to Jesus Christ, he's become fixated on the pool. See, I don't believe that there's a person in this room that would not agree that something somewhere in their life is not well. We can all look to our own worldview and we can see that we're in a rut. Back when I was in college, uh, my school was one of the first to gain access to Facebook, right when it had first started. It was by invitation only, and uh, it was this place to have fun and share stories and connect with friends and chase girls. And now it's literally a dumpster fire of politics. You know, I think it's a microcosm of the challenge of the human condition, isn't it? And when we look within, we we know exactly what it is to be this invalid man. See, some of us, we've sat in our sin and in our problems for just as many years, and we can find just as many excuses for why we can't do any better. And while we might say we want to be well again, we really don't. Because at the core, it's not our paralysis that's the issue. It's our hearts. G.K. Chesterton said it like this. You might have seen me. I might have quoted this before. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says, men do not differ much about the things that they will call evil. They differ enormously about what evils they will call excusable. I have no one to carry me to the pool. And when I try, someone beats me to it. It's an interesting response, right? I mean, he should have just said yes to Jesus. Yes, I want healing. But instead, he wants Christ to know just how hopeless his situation has become. He's dedicated his life to laying by these pools that are supposed to bring him healing, but he can't get there. Why? Excuses. Hear me out. I think he's got a valid point, right? I mean, what he says is true. But it seems to me that whoever has brought him there has his own or her own excuses. They're either too preoccupied or too busy, or too careless, or too ashamed to just sit with this man and carry him down to the water. See, when it comes to our wholeness in Christ, it seems that it's not only the excuses that we make for ourselves that keep us from flourishing, it's those same excuses that eventually affect the people around us. I think there's a reason that Jesus sent out the disciples in twos. There's a reason that God's word tells us two are better than one. There's a reason Proverbs talks about iron sharpening iron as one friend does to another. There's a reason the book of Hebrews tells us not to give up on the habit of meeting together. There's a reason Jesus told us where two or more are gathered, there he is among us. There's a reason when God met Eve, he made Adam, he he looked around, realized how much in trouble he was and said it's not good for man to be alone and brought him a helper. Let's just take Sunday mornings as an example. We know coming to church on Sunday builds our faith and grows us in Christ together. 
And yet never before in our lives have we had more of a legitimate excuse to cease from being in community together. And yet, when you look at the technology and the tools that God has blessed us with, never before have we had more answers to those excuses. Which one will we focus on? See, I think we make justifications all the time that keep us from flourishing in Christ. We could pick the excuse of the day, but if you put them under the microscope, you'll suddenly realize just how ridiculous they are, particularly if you compare them to the rest of life. I want to do a little experiment with you. Um, just listen to this list. It's the top 10 excuses not to wash your hands. The top 10 reasons why you shouldn't wash your hands. I know it's random, but hear me out. As I do this, I want you to think about the top 10 reasons not to go to church, okay? You with me? Number one, top 10 reasons not to wash your hands. I was forced to as a child. It comes with too many bad memories. People who make soap, they're really only after your money. I only wash on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. My friends who wash, they're hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than everyone else. There's so many different types of soap. How do I know which one will work? I used to wash, but I got out of the habit, so I've stopped now. Well, none of my friends wash. Why should I? It's been a long week. I'm tired. I'll wash next weekend. I cut my hand and the, the soap stings. I'd rather just leave it dirty. It'll get better somehow. I think the top excuse we give for just about everything today, there's just not enough time to wash my hands. See what I mean? And this invalid man, ripe with excuses, all the reasons he can't be made well, stuck because of the excuses of his friends and the fatalism in his heart, he suddenly finds himself face to face with the living God. And as only the Lord can do, Jesus removes every barrier of wholeness and healing in this man's life. And he tells him, get up, take up your mat, and walk. I love how one academic put it. Look at this up on the screens. He said, just as the 38 years proved the gravity of this man's disease, so the carrying of his bed proves the completeness of his cure. What excuses have you been making in your life that have kept you from an abundance of what Jesus wants for you? You know, the day that this miracle took place, it was on the Sabbath. It was right in the middle of a religious festival. Normally, John tells us what kind of festival it was. We don't know. But there were certainly Jewish leaders all over town, and they would have watched this moment go down. And they were furious about it. See, the Bible says on the seventh day you shall rest, but it never said anything about performing miracles on that day of rest or carrying a, a mat that was really a reed mat, very, very uh, thin and lightweight. And yet the religious leaders had added to this law of God's word this burdensome list that had nothing to do with God in order to put the burden on the people. And as a faithful Jew, Jesus could have easily looked into all of these excuses and thought, I can't heal this man on the Sabbath day. He can't carry his mat with all those rules involved. 
And yet not only does Jesus heal him, but he commands him to show the world what it is to be set free in Jesus' name. As controversial as it was. See, this is not so much just a story of a man's healing physically. It's a story of Jesus removing the excuses of our hearts and the barriers that we've made to a life that should be thriving in him. D.L. Moody once said it far better than I could. Look at this. He said, excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men off to sleep in. You might remember the story of Walter Carr a few years ago. Um, Walter had been looking for employment for some time. He uh, had finally landed a job with a moving company down in Georgia. But just before his first day of work, his car broke down. No worries, like any of us, he called a friend and asked for a ride, but at the last minute, that plan also failed. And so at midnight, he decided he would walk to work for the next day. And here's why. His commute was 20 miles long. At 4 a.m., the police saw this, this kid walking around the streets, and they asked him what he was up to. He shared his story with them as unbelievable as it was, and they took him to breakfast and then brought him to his job just in time. A few weeks later, the CEO of the Bellhop Moving Company was so moved by this man's heart, he bought him a brand new car. Why? Because the CEO knew that the rest of society would have called with their excuses. You know, I think so often we become complacent in our own sloth. You can just name the predicament that we're going through. We'll come up with the excuse to stay there. And yet, look at how this lesson ends. Later, Christ finds this man now made well. He's still not sure who it was that healed him. He's walking around the temple, and this is what Jesus says to him. He says, I see you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. And again, at first glance, this comment is troubling. right? It seems as though Jesus has connected the dots between this man's sin and his 38 years of suffering. Hear me carefully. Later in John's gospel, we're, we kind of have this warning not to jump so easily to this conclusion, and yet we know that oftentimes our sins do lead to our own suffering. But that's not the lesson. The lesson here is that even in this man's physical healing, the real question Jesus was asking him was his spiritual healing. Do you want to be made well? And what Jesus, I think, wants us to understand is that even if we find ourselves with a terminal diagnosis, the ultimate healing that Jesus is concerned with is something far greater. When we make excuses in our sin or our dysfunction or our waywardness, the consequence is eternal. The book of Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. To ignore it is to be cradled off into our own demise. But here's my question for us today. Do you want to be healed? And if your answer is yes, if you're tired of trying to fix the brokenness of this life with excuses that don't add up, or if you're exhausted with turning on the news and wondering how we're going to put the pieces back together again, then here's the invitation of God's word today. In Jesus' name, take up your mat and walk. The miracle this invalid was looking for wasn't found in the idol that had become the pool. It was found in Christ. And the miracle of our own wholeness and wellness 
that the world longs to see, it's not going to be found in politics ultimately or parties or money or success or coping mechanisms or self-help blogs or fill in the blank. Ultimately, it too will be found only in Christ. Hebrews 2 says it like this. Let's let this be the, the scripture that we lean into this week. Lay aside every weight and every sin that clings to you so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If Jesus is standing right in front of you asking you the question, the simple answer is not our excuses. It's yes. Let me pray. Lord, John tells us the story of a savior who stepped down into a world where there was no way and made a way. Lord, as we open up this gospel, we confess, we, we read a story that tells us of a God who stepped into the abyss of excuses and removed all those barriers in Jesus' name. So God, we confess what we're saying this morning. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. God, not only on us, but on our excuses, on the justifications we have made in not seeking you wholeheartedly. Lord, in the fact that our eyes turn to idols for our, our, our healing instead of to you. God, we pray first that it would begin with us that that we would know what it is to have the peace that goes beyond all understanding. Lord, our security and our hope, our footing be in you, Lord. And then we pray for your church that as we leave these buildings every Sunday, that we would continue to be the church that lives for you. God, without excuse, without hesitation, without barrier, Lord, because it was Jesus who removed that for us. And so, God, we know. We know that it's in you that we live and move and have our being. Lord, help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.